0: You don't have the chills from that intro song. Something's wrong with you. It makes me want to just go out my driveway and ball people up.
1: Well, I don't know about Randy, but, you know, I'm too
0: old to ball. Nah, nobody's ever too old to ball. So, we're going to start at the beginning of the last dance. I just want to get some reaction from you guys of, from the initial, hey, we're going to put this out there. We got a 10-part series, and we're going to release it early. Before you saw any episodes, what was the what was the feeling?
2: Go ahead, Ray. I really just thought about, like, you know, I'm the same age as you guys. It was like reliving my childhood. And when I first came to know and love basketball and – uh, we did, You know, we might not have known then that Jordan was a GOAT, but we certainly knew he was one of the best to ever do it, and he reinvented the way that we watch sports, not just basketball.
0: Yeah, I I agree with everything you said. It's crazy that, you know, in this day and age that there was a time period where you didn't really know of a college player, and then all of a sudden, as a pro basketball player, they're the the best athlete on the planet. I mean, for me, like, they talked
1: about it and talked about it. And, of course, naturally I was excited. But to Randy's point, like, you can only really remember so much. Like, I think um, Kobe was the huge part of really when we really started to know basketball. Because you look at it, Jordan's era really ended when we were about 14 years old. And, yeah, we know basketball, but not like we do as we become um, older as adults. And so I think we really got to see that with Kobe, not so much as Jordan. With Jordan, it was really just that he's so awesome, he's on the commercials, he can fly, he does movies kind of thing. But we didn't really know how good his basketball game really was.
0: So now we got got four parts, um, which have been – I mean, if I say that they weren't unbelievably amazing, like, I think I would definitely be downplaying that. But we got four parts. So after four parts, Jim, what is your reaction? Like, how do you you still feel the love for it? You still want more? Uh, Absolutely.
1: I thought it was said best by Jason and John locally in Memphis. If they would have ran all 10 that night, quite possibly everybody would have stayed up and binge-watched it
0: all night long. Yeah, I I, I think the, the timing was perfect. I think them bringing the forefront of what the Bulls were and who Michael Jordan really was, not only on the court, but they also did a really good job of portraying him off the court not so much in a personal life, but more so like off the court at practice, off the court like in travel, off the court in the locker room. Um, so it was it was interesting to see. I, I, I feel still pretty jacked up. I feel excited to continue to watch. I don't know if I would want to watch 10 episodes right in a row, but um, definitely could have probably
2: watched another hour uh, of each one. Randy, what do you think? I mean, I think that it would have been watched no matter when they put it out. But given the pandemic and we don't have, you know, sports to watch, it's already the most watched documentary ever released by ESPN. Over six million viewers. I mean, that's crazy. And like you said, it's totally – we're watching history that we remember, like Jim said, but we don't – you know, we don't remember it like we remember watching Kobe and Shaq and even LeBron coming in. So this is a lot of nostalgia. <laughs>
0: it's a it's a lot of things that I forgot, but I I go back to my where what was I doing when I saw Michael Jordan do this? Where where was I at when the Bulls did that? So it like really brought me back, but what what's really cool about this whole thing um before we start getting into like the actual like pieces of it is like this is something that now like families and like my wife for instance she is wanting to watch this like she was not a basketball fan she knows who Jordan is but like all these little things about him she had no clue so she's jacked up and she wants more of it too so um you know i'd be i would be probably a liar if i didn't say i had a lot of shocks, a lot of surprises, but overall a ton of enjoyment from this. Um, so I'll throw the question out there. What was, was there any shocking revelations? Were there any surprises or what part did you enjoy the most from these, just these first four parts?
1: Uh, I would say right out the gate, because I've talked about it with both of you. I've talked about it with anybody. I've heard everybody talking about it. The shock would be because they said it was public then, but, We've been discussing our age. Wouldn't it be the biggest shock would be Jerry Krause and how he handled everything?
0: I think so. Um, I mean, back then you didn't get it. Well, maybe you did. I, I don't remember there being a whole lot of insight to Jerry Krause and why he was the business guy that he was, but I don't think in comparison to the way businesses and sports are handled now, I think it's actually very similar uh, to a lot of sports uh, franchises today. But, Randy, I tell you that
1: Clay Thompson ain't getting paid and Steve
2: Kerr is getting fired no matter what what you say. I mean, I think it's crazy to watch how Doug Collins had- – Basically, took the Bulls from a lottery team. If that was, I don't even think that was a thing then, to a playoff contender, and they fired him anyway for an assistant coach that nobody knew. I mean, obviously, now he's got, you know, the second most championships as a coach. I mean, but then nobody knew. He was just a tall hippie that happened to play in the league, and he was an assistant that was mainly unheard of. I mean, you're not lying. How about the Puerto Rican takes? Who, I mean, who knew? <laughs> exactly. And yeah. I think for me one of the best things that I that I've seen about this wasn't just rewatching Jordan and Pippen and Rodman and Ron Harper and all these guys then but it's watching Jordan now sitting in his, his has you know we don't ever get to see Jordan candid. He never gives interviews really other than when he talks like at his Hall of Fame speech or at Kobe's funeral but to watch him sit there and drink some bourbon and talk about and relive his glory days has been my favorite part.
0: Yeah. Speaking of Scotty Pippen, I think that's probably one of the this a revelation that I never even thought about. Like, I think the guy at the time was, was vastly underpaid. He was uh, definitely in the shadow of Jordan but definitely a huge factor of why the Bulls and I think inevitably Jordan was so successful. Um, sure. I know that You don't get the Scottie Pippen side of it, but I would be interested to see a documentary, maybe not 10 parts, but from Scottie Pippen's view. I'll tell
1: you this, the the way the documentary is being shown and the way Scottie and Michael are talking, it's not a lot of what I've always been known. I've always been told that, you know, they don't appreciate each other enough. And you're sitting there hearing Michael talk about he could not win it without Scottie. And talk about the troubles of when he wasn't around. So I think that may have been true at a certain point, but I think this all coming back around, including Rodman and anybody else to do with that team, I think their appreciation level is that much higher, especially because that just comes with maturity in general.
0: Yeah, I mean, speaking of true feelings, you think you think Michael was was pissed off about that whole migraine game
2: issue? Oh, yeah. I mean, a competitor like him, the ultimate competitor, I think he would never admit it on the show, but I think he doubted how the seriousness of the migraine. And But he said, I, I don't know. I can't tell you if he had a headache or not. So that kind of made me think he doubted it a little. But his, fa- I think his
1: face was pretty revealing.
2: He didn't say it, but you could see the front. I mean,
1: he, when he's talking, you can pretty much read what he's feeling.
0: I agree. So, did – did Scottie Pippen do something cool before it was cool? Was, was he, he a holdout guy that made it cool before it was cool? Well, I looked at the
1: numbers to put in perspective, because everybody said seven years, $18 million. But what I wanted to do was look at somebody else's numbers. And since Rodman's the big guy that they're talking about so far, uh, to put in perspective, that 96-97 season, Rodman made $9 million. He was set to make 4.6 on the back end of a contract in 97-98. I mean, so if you're Scotty, that's, I mean, that hurts. I, I I understand it, and I hate when players sit out, but, you know, most people felt like he could have arguably been the second best player in the league, not just the second best player on the Bulls, and he's done everything he can, and they're not rewarding him.
0: So what – what yeah. are, Go ahead.
2: Yeah, I agree with that, though. I think that what what you heard was Jerry Reinsdorf be as honest as he could be. You know, he told him in 91, you know, I'm advising you against signing this, but if you do sign it, don't come back and try to renegotiate it later. And Pippen took it then, you know, happily because he was trying to get long-term financial security because he came from poverty, right? He came from not having money. So getting $18 million over seven years is life-changing money. Yeah, and I think I don't maybe I'm wrong, but
0: do you think those guys knew what everyone was making, or was it more like a hush, hush now it's like at the forefront, you see contracts, you know, the duration and the terms and and all the bonuses and all the little ins and outs of contracts are all public, but I don't know how public those things were, so is it possible that Scotty? didn't make as much money because you just didn't know what the market rate was for his, for him. Well, they, and his said value. It,
1: they said it in the show the market rate had just jumped right after he got paid. And we've seen this in the current NBA. You, um, you know, you got to have good agents and good financial advisors to let you know. You know, LeBron James is a good example. People always wonder in different years where he's only maybe signed a one year contract and they're like, why if he plans to stay? And it's because he knows that the collective bargaining agreement is going to change. And I think Scotty did not know that the money was fixing to rise the way it did because they even said it on the documentary. The year after he signed that, the money went way up and all these guys started getting paid more than him.
2: Well, you said you mentioned the agent. How about the the twist on who his agent was? None other than Memphis own Jimmy Sexton, who's now a (laughs) super agent. I mean, that's yeah, that was crazy you think that's
1: a connection because of where he's from? I mean, you know, he was just from right around the way, kind of. Yeah, you know,
0: maybe. I mean, it was probably very regional. Then it was probably easy to get connections to a regional guy, especially if you're a um, a guy from you know a small town in the in the south. Like, what what who do you know? Like, it's you don't really know anybody. It's not like you're living in a big city where they're probably Coming out of the woodworks and they know you before you know them. Um, So, is there another great athlete that has a person that they rely on more than Michael relied on Scotty? I try Mm. to think about like big time duos and not even in basketball, but like in all of sports. Like, is there you know, a really, the best player in a league that has that, that secondary player like a Scottie Pippen, or was Scottie Pippen like the epitome of like being that, that co-like player?
1: I mean, right off the top for me, if I'm going to change sports, because I I got a couple I can think of in basketball, but it goes back to that same age and and what we saw and what what do we really know? But you always heard that with Montana and Rice, right,
0: for the Forty ers True. More significant, more significant than Pippen and Jordan. Oh, more
1: significant? No, but I mean, if we're going to be real, Randy knows how I feel about Clay Thompson uh, and Steph Curry, <laughs> Steph Curry without him. Yeah,
2: I, well, I agree with that, but I think that the that you could compare it even going back to that age, uh, you know, maybe Mikhail and Bird. I mean, but they also had Parrish. I mean, so I don't know that there was a more prominent duo than those
0: two. Yeah, they were. I mean, it was like they were in sync. They were unstoppable. Like,
1: well, and what makes them interesting is when you think of like because you're talking about the era, so you think about like Stockton and Malone. Usually, you think of a, a guard and a forward or center, like you know, Shaq Kobe came around. Um, the interesting part was that they were they played the two and the three guard. I mean, it, you weren't talking about a big and a small either. They didn't, they weren't really meant to be complementary, but yet they were. And especially that game where uh, Pippen came up and decided to take on Garden Bird and take that responsibility off. And that's why I kind of used the Clay and Steph analogy because that's one of the beauties of him. Now, I'm not putting them anywhere near Jordan and Pippen, but when you have a defender who can take some of the pressure off you so you can do what you do on offense, I mean,
2: then that definitely makes him your right-hand man. True. Well, no, and I think that Pippen, he did epitomize that. I think it took those two special personalities, too, because Pippen was okay being the Robin to the Batman. He had, he embell- he loved the role uh, of being the number one defender. He was on more – you know, first team all-defense, you know, Tony Allen made that famous, but Pippen was on more than anybody ever. I mean, that guy, I think he was on, what, 12 or 13 all-defensive team in 17 seasons? That's insane. I mean,
1: picking – it shows that highlight, picking up full court. And it, and it reminded me, like, everything's going to come back to modern day. It reminds me of Patrick Beverly, right, being a pest. It's that Patrick, Patrick Beverly's small. Scotty Pippen's anything but. Imagine a guy that athletic and that big picking you up full court.
0: Really really cuts down the the angles that you could take. I know that and just the guy's hands alone are so you like, noticed, as long as my arm. So you notice that. So yeah. that
1: while he's sitting there talking and he's just doing his fingers against each other?
0: Big just like I I don't say this about a lot of guys, but that dude's just everything he has is long. <laughs> <laughs> I mean just long. Um I you know, we mentioned the Celtics. Can somebody answer this? How was the whitest team in the NBA ever that damn good? Like I just like I, I don't get it. Like I'll let Randy get that one. We're we're just we're not talking about like, you know, Jason Williams white guys, like we're talking about
2: like white, white milky boy. white white guys. <laughs> Well, I agree. I think that the one thing that stood out to me with watching these highlights is just how much more athletic, I'm not going to say better, how much more athletic people the NBA is today, right? So Jordan was like one of a kind, right? You had Dominique and you had guys like that that were like uh, the outliers, but that wasn't the norm. Now, you have, if you're not one of the best athletes in the world, you're never going to make it in the NBA. So I think that those Celtics guys just did it by playing, you know, it sounds cliche, but they played fundamental, tough basketball.
0: Yeah, they were probably annoying on defense. They didn't miss a lot of shots. They boxed out. They had minimal turnovers. They did all those things that you hope that your team just does, but they did it all very well. Yeah, and Um, I mean,
1: think about – all right, so when you think about how good they were across the board, one – I had no idea Walton was even on that team while we're talking about white boys. But two, you know, I've spent a lot of time complaining about guys in the modern day, obviously Westwood being one I'm talking about they don't have enough help. I watched Jordan drop 49 and 63 in consecutive games and take an L. And it it wasn't maybe even so much about his help, even though clearly he didn't. The Celtics
0: team's just that good, clearly. Well, how many players go out there and say they're going to, Run, run! You out the building and do it. He I mean, told.
1: He said, "Hey, DJ, or tell." He told Danny, he tell DJ. I'll see him tomorrow."
2: That man, yeah. <laughs> and then, and also, they had one of the. I mean, he, he kind of gets slept on because he was overshadowed for us anyway. Maybe it's our age group. Larry Bird's one of the greatest players of all time. So I mean, they had one of the best. And then they had people that played roles. Right? It wasn't just Larry Bird going out there and getting sixty it was hey we're going to do this and we're going to do it the right way but we're going to be led by this guy who's one of the best to ever do it.
1: Well what I hate is when I hear old school guys debate old school players.
2: I like I hate
1: how Larry Bird is referenced as a white guy. I hear people say he might have been the best white NBA player. I bet he probably doesn't actually like that.
0: No, why no. Why why would he? He he worked his ass off just like a lot of those other players did to be the best in what he does what to be categorized as just the best of the white players like i i think like you can tell when michael jordan talks about larry bird like he wasn't the best of the white players he was one of the best damn players there was I,
2: no but it is pretty cliche that the one of the best white players ever is from french lake yeah. i mean you know i <laughs> mean
0: i mean you don't you don't see any you don't see any bras coming out of, out of French Lick, that's for sure.
2: <laughs> no.
0: Um if there was a Mount Rushmore basketball is Larry Bird on it.
1: Ooh. Man, he came that, that question was not on the bullet points.
2: You know, I'm gonna say no. So well, then if the to que- do that,
1: you're gonna have so, to I mean we're gonna have to do it then. I mean you can't ask that question, we say no and then leave it.
0: I don't see that's the thing. I don't have an answer for this question. The more I think about it, the more it's like it could be interchanged with a few different players, but I try to think back on who had the biggest like magnitude when they played. I mean, obviously we're we're under the assumption that Jordan is is going to be on this, correct?
2: Well, yeah, I think everybody's going to put him up there. So I think
1: your debates actually come with your your modern-day players, because a lot of the old-school guys, um, everybody puts them up there. But when you talk about the Kobe's and the LeBron's, a lot of people are very hesitant, at least uh, you know, other than the young generation, to put those guys in there because the other guys set the bar at a certain height.
0: Is is LeBron on it?
1: This, see, this is where it's going to get interesting, because it might be for Randy, but it ain't for me.
0: Is is I, Westbrook I on think, it? Oh, of course.
1: Do, <laughs> do Westbrook standing over it?
0: He's paying, paying to go see it.
2: You know, the more that I'm thinking about this, the more that I'm thinking about this, I think you might have to put Bird on it because – and I say it because of this. Do I think that LeBron James is better than Larry Bird? Yes, I do. But – I also think that Larry and Magic and Jordan honestly changed the game. We talked about it earlier when it all changed in the early 90s, TV revenues, viewership, all that. That was those guys that made that. And even the bad boy Pistons, they they created what we know now as the NBA. They made the way for the, you know, what we all know is a Memphis, a Memphis reference, Penny Hardaway, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant's.
1: Yeah. And you think about it. I mean, Listen to how Jorby ugh, I can't even talk Jordan talks about bird and magic. I mean, he wanted to be a part of those guys, and the way he talked about them he wanted to be on their level and so and he knew how great he was, and yet he still felt that way that he wasn't on the same level as them guys yet, and so that kind of tells you just where they really were true well,
2: okay jim you we're talking about the four. Who is your fourth? I mean, if if we're saying it's if I'm saying it's Jordan, Magic, and Larry, who's your who would be the fourth? I mean, I feel like if we got those
1: three guys, it's got to be the best big man of all time. And th- Bill Russell. I mean that because that's where it comes to a problem because Kareem and Bill Russell were before my time. Naturally, I'm going to tell you it's it's Shaq probably. But that's because, I mean, I'm biased because I watched them my whole life. I didn't – I've only seen highlights of the, you know, sky hook. So, I mean, I don't know. An interesting topic to put that in to kind of cross two together. Um, me and Randy were talking about it, Daniel. So, the Rockets won those two championships when Jordan took a break. And the interesting part was it was asked just a couple of days ago, would Akeem Olajuwon have the status he has today? if Jordan never took a break because it very well, Houston may have never even won a title.
0: I don't, I don't think you can discount winning championships on the fact that a player wasn't playing. I mean, they still went out and won games and were very good and did what they were supposed to do. I think trying to have a conversation around that is, is very tough. I mean, would Michael Jordan make a difference? I mean, it, It depends, like, do they – how often do they play each other in the season? Do the games matter? How – do they see each other in the playoffs? Like, I mean, it's – Well, I guess a real quick question, and I'm going to ask this to Randy. Do
1: do the Bulls still make the finals the year that the Magic do when Penny and Shaq went on their run? Because you told me yourself you didn't know how anybody could stop Shaq in regards to if the Bulls would have
2: stayed together and had to deal with Shaq at the Lakers. Yeah, I think – and if you look back on it, um, it's weird because Jordan came back, you know, into that season. I think it was like somewhere around the 50-game mark. I mean, he averaged more points, more rebounds, more assists in that Magic series than he did the next year in the Eastern Conference Finals. So, everybody kind of acts like, well, the Magic beat up on a bad Bulls team. But, no, they really didn't. So, I think to Daniel's point, though, well, to back on the Akeem thing for a minute, Akeem, is, he was drafted before Jordan, and so was Sam Bowie, of course, but nobody ever talks about the fact that Akeem was taken before Jordan because he was that good that everybody, he was widely considered the best player in that draft. And even to this day, even though Jordan is the greatest ever, nobody ever says, man, they were crazy for taking Akeem alive. Well, they also
1: said in that draft that you don't pass on seven footers, which. If you ask the Memphis Grizzlies now, um you you do pass, you do pass <laughs> on seven footers.
0: Yeah, I agree. Oh, uh, you like
1: you like that. I had to I had to hit us with a little jab right there.
0: So, we talked a lot about good teams. But what about the Pistons? They're the 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 bad boys of basketball. Were they were they good enough not to shake hands after that, that series with the Bulls? Well, I'm going to let Randy take that,
1: but let me say something first in regards to them. I thought it was best. I forgot who said it on the documentary, but we should be – think. it may have been Jordan, but we should be thankful for the Pistons and the way they beat him up. Because if they don't beat him up that way, we don't see him become what he does. I mean, he was already great, but, I mean, to take his – you know, weight routine and, and get the other players on his team get to the next level, like, we owe the Pistons something for that.
2: No, I agree. And I think that when we talk about the Pistons, they didn't really have – they did have Isaiah Thomas, which is probably one of the best point guards in the league at the time, and Joe Dumars. And the, but really, they were just the epitome of a team, and they were going to do it their way. And they relished the role of playing spoiler – those guys were good enough because they were winning championship against, you know, uh, they were beating teams like the Lakers. They were beating the Celtics. I mean, they, and the Bulls. I mean, you think about it like this. A lot of hate or a lot of discounting of LeBron's legacy goes in the fact that he's lost so many playoffs. But Jordan lost to the same team three years in a row before he finally got over that hump. And he went six years without winning his first, you know, before getting there. So I think it's easy for us to look back now revisionist history and say, man, Jordan was the greatest of all time. And I agree, but it's easy for us to forget that he had that a very tough time getting past a team like that. And like Jim said, he started working out and getting heavy because he wanted to deliver the pain instead of getting it. And it kind of created what we see now. And the fact that you got these guys like Russell Westbrook and um, you know LeBron and Giannis that look like they're ch- chiseled out of granite. Well, and sometimes you
1: don't realize it because when they were showing the highlights for Kobe after he passed, and they were showing him from his rookie season on, you kind of don't notice it because these guys aren't just real big to begin with. But man, Kobe put on some muscle.
2: He did.
0: I think it's a game of. Of I mean, there is a physicality of the game, and the more prepared you are to take that physicality the more you can endure and i think like delivering pain is probably the the greatest line that that jordan in my opinion says in that in those first four parts because it's like straight out of like a rocky movie like i'm tired of getting the pain brought on me i'm gonna start delivering my own pain
1: um, yeah, and so I got a question for you guys because and then I'm going to let Randy because he didn't answer the handshake question cuz I actually know his answer. But Randy, the question's for you directly cuz I got to ask you. Could Kevin Durant have played against that Pistons team?
2: Oh, no way. No way. He can't he, he couldn't even bench press the bar, man. No way. <laughs> All
1: right, so what about the shaking hands part cuz I know how you feel about it.
2: Man, I'm I'm so I, I'm I the more I thought about it, the more torn I am as we look back on it. You know, we were always taught to shake hands, lose with class. And, you know, they're – but they were ultimate competitors and they didn't want to do that. But then as I watched it and you watched Jordan react to it and say, you know what, I shook those guys' hands three years in a row. I made a point to shake every single one of their hands. So now I've kind of changed my stance. If Jordan being, as we all think of him, as the ultimate competitor, can go shake their hands after getting beat three years in a row, absolutely. They should have stopped and, you know, shown their respect. I think it, in my time, like as an athlete, you you
0: have these series with teams and you don't necessarily shake hands at the end of every game, but the final game of the series, you always shake hands. Um, I think it shows a lot of class, whether you win or lose, but also ultimately like you are modeling competition in positive light for kids and like you want kids to take something away more than just oh i watched some of the greatest basketball players on earth play but also like they shook hands like they were gracious in in defeat they were gracious when they when they win like that's what i want to be so well, charles think...
1: Bar- charles barkley said he's not a role model you know what i'm saying <laughs> well, I mean
0: that's that's the coach the coach side coming out you know i, I you want you want to coach guys and you want good people. And, yeah, you want them to be as competitive as hell. But at the, the end, you they need to be able to turn that switch off just as quick as they turned it on. And that's what really makes players special.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would, I would listen, be
1: absolutely livid if my son lost the game and then just
2: walked off the field. Yeah, but we've seen some of the greats do it. I mean, we've seen, the, you know, what everybody considers Peyton Manning one of the classiest guys in history, right? Uh, where a lot of people do, but, I mean, he's walked off the field before, and we've seen, you know, Tom Brady's – we've seen this from a lot of other guys, and I know we've all played sports, right? There's been times right now I'm in a super competitive – my field of – my occupation is super competitive, and when I lose a big sale or whatever, it's still tough, man, to congratulate, but I do, but, man, it's hard.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it makes you better as a person. Like, it humbles you just a little bit because losses are just as important as wins because the losses are what pushes you to have the wins. You know what it feels like to lose, so you don't want to lose, so you make sure that you win. So at this point, four parts in, is Jordan a good guy? Is he a villain? What do you guys think?
2: I mean, I
1: feel like if I'm – if I'm a kid again, just like I was then, and I'm watching this, I'm trying to do everything I can to replicate what he's doing if I want to play a sport, a video, or man, and don't got to be a sport. Any extracurricular activity, I'm using the drive and determination I, I see in him. And so, if I'm saying that he has to be heroic, not a villain, because most kids don't try to emulate villains. So that's my that's
2: what I see. Well, a little bit of a different take is back then I was definitely one of the the few that I hated the Bulls. I, I really did. So when I first really remember, obviously I watched them, you know, against the Trailblazers and, you know, the Suns. But when I really first remember was the series against the Sonics. And I loved Sean Kemp and Gary yes. Payton. Those were my guys. Yes. So I rooted hard for those guys. And even the two years after that, I rooted for the Jazz. I mean, and you knew, right? You knew Jordan's going to find a way every single time to beat these guys. But I just – I wanted the upset. I I was rooting for the underdog. And also, I just – I was a huge Penny fan, you know, like everybody, all of us were in that time, especially from Memphis. And I felt like, uh, you know, without Jordan being in the league, Penny could have been something. And then, of course, that led to me hating Shaq for a little while. But that's another story for another day. He was a villain to me is my point. Yeah, but, I mean, I think – they, they talk about
1: it, whether we're talking about LeBron or Kobe, like, okay, to, to, to put it to perspective, because like I said, Kobe was the greatest of the next era. Randy will tell you, Daniel, you probably know it, like, Randy likes telling people a story about when Sarah told me Kobe was down at Silky O'Sullivan's, and I was like, I'm going to go down there and start a fight with him. Like, and not because, <laughs> I mean, I only didn't like him because of his greatness. I didn't like him sending my team home every year. And so, it wasn't because he actually did anything personally wrong. And so, I think no matter what error, the best players, they're either one or the other because if they're not the guy you're rooting for, they're usually the guy sending your team home packing.
0: And that's that's a tough pill to swallow. I mean, you you vest all this interest in your team and you they get to the cusp and they don't make it because of one guy. Like, that – That's very villainous. Um, But I I can see how some people, like, could think that he's over the top. He's too much. I mean, he's an uber-competitive guy, and how he talked to people and how he communicated with teammates. And even to this day, you hear them talk about, like, how competitive he was was borderline, like, disrespectful. But I, I still think at this point, after four parts, he's still, like, who you want to mimic your, your competitive drive after. He's who you want to mimic your win and loss records from and how you play the game. So, I mean, when you, look at,
1: you look at what Michael Wilbon said in that, and then he added to it the next day. He said when he puts guys in that category, he said that he would put Muhammad Ali in it right and then he said Babe Ruth and then he came on the next day and said because he didn't say it in that particular thing because Tiger hadn't came yet but he said Tiger and when you look at all those guys I mean they carry a a negative reputation but I feel like there's something to that because in order to be the best I mean I feel like you have to have that that side of you that's just not friendly and I know I know it sounds bad but I mean to be the best you got to kind of have that cutthroat and like I said Kobe had it as well Um, and you started to see it after when it came to his final few years, that kind of toned down, and you kind of saw the normal side of him, and then you saw it afterward. And just like y'all are talking about seeing Jordan sit in his chair, you're seeing a calm and relaxed. But when those guys are playing their
2: game, I mean, they don't know any other
1: way. They're they're wired differently.
2: They are wired differently, and you can see – you can still tell it. When they started talking about Isaiah Thomas uh, and his – his way his recant of the whole situation where they walked off the court you could then all of a sudden you saw mj again not michael jordan the 50 something year old man you saw michael jordan you know from 1991 and he was like you know what you can't convince me that guy's not an asshole you know and and that 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 right there showed me that at his age right now he could he still feels like he's the greatest ever so daniel i'll ask you the final question because
1: you've asked all the
2: questions So you keep saying
1: within the four parts with the six episodes left, do you think he will look more heroic or do you think he will continue down a road of being more villainous?
0: I think it's going to look bad before it gets really good for him. I think, I think they're going to get into some of that off the court, like issues um, that are going to shed some light on him. And it's probably going to, be a detriment when you compound it with how he talks to his teammates and coaches. And, but I think at the end of this, it's going to show him being very heroic and very, very, very like, obviously the the greatest of all time. I mean, I think that's the whole purpose of this documentary is really to, to kind of put some, some clarity to why
2: he is the goat per se. You know it'd be great. If- well, think about it like this too, though. There's no way Michael Jordan, as vain as he is, and we all saw that in his Hall of Fame Hall of Fame speech, he would have never allowed this documentary if it painted him in a bad light. And that's just him being a competitor. Nobody ever wants to be looked at uh, in a in a bad light. Yeah, True. I agree. And I will tell you what, just,
1: just as as this thing goes forward, you know it'd be great is if. Uh, Let's say Adam Silver knows when the NBA is really going to start back, and he has a chance to announce it when there's still two more episodes left. Dude, I'm announcing it the night or the day after or the night after or after the episode and, like, after everybody's all jazzed up from this thing and then tell them basketball's
2: going to be back. I play, I play them together. Oh, I agree. I agree. Hey, I got a question for both of you guys. You you know, they talked about, you guys remember when we were, we were, we were like, what, 10, 11 years old when Jordan had retired and then he said he was coming back. Can you imagine Twitter would have literally broken if he just tweeted out, I'm back, you know, because it came across Center and it was all the rage. But imagine having the social media access that we do right now. Matter of fact, if you look at it from a broader point of view, we might not have even had this documentary had we had social media back then because you would have you known all this. Yeah, I mean, I I like
1: being able to see. This. I'm glad we didn't have access. I, as much as you know, I look at stuff on Twitter. I wish we didn't have the access we did. It ge- it gives us a little too much. I like I like knowing some, but I don't like knowing everything.
0: So let's let's close with this. And I was just just thinking about this, given the fact that we have two. Unbelievable players, Jordan, and let's say let's say Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant was in an era where technology was increasing, social media was increasing. It wasn't like where it is now, but there was a, a huge presence. Jordan was in an era where there was no social media, so you didn't get a whole lot of like all the details with him. Would a documentary about Kobe Bryant be more watched than the documentary about Jordan right now.
2: No way. I, I
0: mean,
1: I think Jordan's bigger, but I may contest that because I'm watching these guys in the league, and I mean, I don't, I don't know that a player will have another impact on people the way he did. I, it's tough. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely a legitimate debate. But watching the way these NBA players reacted and not even just NBA players, but players from other sports, I mean, I've never seen anybody's death have that kind of effect on people.
0: Yeah, and it's hard to compare because Jordan is is still living, and, you know, we can always reminisce, and he can always talk about it. We don't have that perspective anymore from Kobe, and I, I would, Randy, I would argue the fact that I think that the Kobe will have a documentary. I don't think it'll be ten parts, but I think it will be as impactful and as pop as popular, if not more popular than this one. You know what they said. To, you know what they said today, though.
1: Imagine being the documentary that follows this up. You got the shaft.
2: Well, it's true, and, and I'm not even disagreeing. As Jim can tell you, Kobe's my favorite of all time. Like that's that's lot sealed for me. However. Uh, you had Kobe, who was basically a newer version of Jordan. He modeled everything he did after Jordan. I mean, it's crazy when you watch those YouTube videos they put out of the fadeaways, the tongue wags, I mean, the the, the defense. They were – he was a carbon copy of Jordan. He wanted to be Michael Jordan. Who doesn't? I mean – Yeah, but who has done it like Kobe, though? I mean, that's the thing. A lot of people want to do it, but Kobe somehow bottled all that up and became – not as good because I don't think you could ever say that Kobe was as good because when he was at his best winning all those championships, which when they won their three P, he was not the best player on the team, right?
0: So
1: well, with- I think we're gonna uh, hold on. I think, guys, because you know, we, we, we want to keep people on, I think what we need to do is chop this right here. I think let's we'll keep this crew of three together for the whole documentary. What you think, Daniel?
0: I'm good with that. Well, you go with that, Randy oh yeah we'll hit it up i don't know we'll we'll pick a night we'll talk about the the latest two episodes and eventually i think we should get to a point where we dig in to to jordan a little more there's just so much that has to be unpacked like that i like i spend more time talking about things that i had no idea about that i learned from it than i do actually talking about jordan because a lot of the big things you know
2: well, we didn't even talk about Dennis Rodman and
1: his Vegas <laughs> that, That's actually I, – I had it in my notes. That was my favorite part of the whole thing so far because Jordan saying I got to go get him
2: was, was classic. Hey, but did you guys know real quick that he didn't – so he was already back in Chicago when Jordan came and got him? Because in the documentary, it made it seem like Jordan went to Vegas and got
0: him. Yeah, that's what I thought. I didn't –
2: yeah, but I was reading, and it was uh, it was those the beat writers were talking about. No, Rodman was already back in Chicago. Michael went to his uh, condominium downtown. Him and Carmen Electra laid up in the bed. He just didn't show well, back the up. Well, to tie
1: that to what Daniel was talking about with social media,
2: we would have all known that if it was today. Oh man, yeah. Oh man, you imagine Dennis Rodman would have been Facebook live after <laughs> it was back then.
1: But yeah, he was. I mean, he was a character, but I mean the. He played basketball, man. He played basketball very well. Agreed. All
0: right, Daniel, we'll wrap this thing up. All right, boys. So four parts in. We've got six parts left. We're going to soak it in. Uh, I think we're going to get a little bit of dream team action on this, this next part. Um, what's funny to me is that, um, and what I'm looking forward to hearing from is you guys talked to me about how is Chuck Daly the coach of that dream team when he was the Pistons head coach during that time with Isaiah. So there's something to think about. Uh, 44 minutes in, we're going to cut it and call it a wrap. We'll play our, our Bulls intro music to outro. Sounds I was like playing. Y'all have
1: a good night.